Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church once again. Hey, Monday is Veterans Day. Do we have any veterans in the house? Would you stand? Veterans, stand. Stand. Right on, right on. Thank you, thank you. God bless you guys. Guys and gals, thank you for serving. Thank you for what you do. Awesome day. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. This is our City on a Hill teaching series. We're going to talk about prayer. Supporting missions right here. Every sip. Quadruple shot mocha. Yeah, baby. I love it. Perfect. got a great study here this morning. People gripped by God's grace will be different. People who are gripped by God's grace will be different. If you have encountered the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, guess what? Your life is going to be different. That's what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. He's talking to disciples. In fact, if you went back to chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he's talking about people, those who have encountered him that, that have been gripped by his grace. And, and now this is what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. He's spelling that out for us. In fact, um, Matthew 5, 16 is our key verse for this series. Let your light shine before men. Be different so that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, that's not what it says, does it? It doesn't say glorify you. It says glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, you would live your life in such a way you'd be so different from the culture that they would go, wow, I, I don't know what it is about them, but, it, but it, they're different, and I, would, I want what they have. I want what they have, and then you can point to your Father who is in heaven. We finished our message last week talking about really loving our enemies. And we asked the question, how do you grow in your love for God and others, even to the point of loving your enemies? How do you do that? And so we're going to answer that question here this morning. The answer is by plunging yourself consistently in the soul-satisfying love of God through prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. This is the most famous part of the most famous sermon in history, which is the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's a problem with this. Most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, most famous part of this sermon, the Lord's Prayer. And here's the problem. By show of hands, how many grew up in church reciting the Lord's Prayer? Show of hands, show of hands. Woo, yep, a whole bunch of us. A whole bunch of us memorize that. And so there's this tendency, you've heard this statement before, that familiarity breeds what? Complacency. Familiarity breeds complacency, which it even can breed contempt. After, after a while, you recite, re, recite something over and over again, you just kind of like, oh yeah, I know the Lord's Prayer. No, you don't. If you're saying, oh yeah, I know the Lord's Prayer, you really don't. And, and you want to really pay attention here this morning. Um, part of living in a fallen world is that we can go to the Swiss Alps or the Grand Canyon and after a while, believe it or not, we can actually get bored over time. And we do that all the time. In heaven, we'll never be bored. 
But part of living in a fallen world, we easily get bored, and so we can get bored with the Lord's Prayer. But let me just say something about the Lord's Prayer before we pray. The Lord's Prayer is much more magnificent than scaling the Swiss Alps and hiking the Grand Canyon. It's amazing. In fact, Jesus is going to teach us how to connect with God. And there's nothing more amazing than that. That we, you and I, can have an audience with the Creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. He's going to teach us that right here. This is my favorite subject. I love this. I love connecting with God. I love communicating with him. I love the interaction that, that I have with him. There's nothing better. That's where we're headed this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we pray this morning that you would teach us the motive, the method, and the means of connecting with you. Because in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May our time now not be just a study about you, but truly a deep, soul-satisfying, and life-liberating connection with you. God, we want to connect with you. Convict us of sin, cleanse us by your grace, captivate us by your loving presence. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text, Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 1 through 18. I'm just going to kind of walk, walk through it kind of somewhat slowly, maybe give you a little bit of explanation as we walk through it. And as I prayed there, we're going to look at, from this text, the motive of our communication with God the method of our communication with God, and then the means to our communication with God. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, what you're going to see in this text over and over again, you're going to see the word Father and reward over and over again. Big idea right here. And he's going to teach us too that, that you can actually go from living a bad life to a very good life. And though there's transformation that's taken place and you're living a, a, a good life, you can do that good life for wrong reasons and still be bad. Does that make sense? So, so you, can, you can do good things for wrong reasons. And that's what he's trying to spell out here. Verse two, thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What in the world is he talking about there? He's talking about being self-congratulatory. Don't pat yourself on the back. Hey, look at me. Look what a great person I am. This is how much money I give to the church or give to missions or do whatever. He's saying, don't do that. You're doing it for all the wrong reasons. So, so you get the idea that you could be a bad person, do a lot of bad things, and harness your self-centeredness to do good things, and you haven't really gotten to the root of our issues because the root of our issues is really our self-centeredness. That's the essence of our sin. So he's really dealing with don't be self-centered in even doing the good things. We need to be more about the Father, the audience of one. Be God-centered in what you do. So that your giving may be, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, so he's talked about giving, giving to the poor. Now he's going to go to prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrites is just um, mask wearers, the idea. A facade, pretense, putting on a show. That's the idea here. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, so he's moved from giving to the poor to prayer. Now he's talking about fasting. When you fast, do not look look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you... They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's work through the notes. First of all, the motive of our communication with God. First fill in the blank. Earthly fathers shape our concept of our heavenly Father. But God is a father like you've never known. When I talk about God being a father, and he actually says, now this is really interesting because he says, so I'm going to teach you how to pray, pray like this. He could have said, our ruler, because God is a ruler, but he doesn't say that. Our king, and God is a king, but he doesn't say that. Our creator, God is a creator, but he doesn't say that. He says, our father, our daddy. Isn't that amazing? Now, you might not be too fond of that word, and it could be because you were raised in an environment that your definition of dad was distant, detached, and maybe even abusive. So there's going to, be, there's going to have to be some work in your life so that you can begin to see more clearly your heavenly father. Earthly fathers shape our concept of our heavenly father, but God is a father like you've never known. Next point on your notes, there has never been or will be a father or a parent, for that matter, on earth who wants the very best for their child as much as your father in heaven wants for you. Now, that's that's a heavy one. That's a heavy truth. If you could get this and if you could understand this, you're not going to defect from the faith. Most people that defect from the faith defect for two reasons. One is because they are deceived into thinking that they're going to find greater pleasures outside of God out there on their own, or they're disillusioned, not by the the pleasures of life, but they're disillusioned by the pressures of life. So they're deceived by the pleasures of life. They're disillusioned by the pressures of life. And it's because they don't think, they're not convinced. It's why Adam and Eve 
did what they did in Genesis 3 is they doubted the goodness of God. And that's what we struggle with. Can I trust God? Do I, does he have my best interest at heart? And so let me make sure that you understand this. There has never been or will be a father or a parent on earth who wants the very best for their child as much as your father in heaven wants for you. Everybody look up here just, just a moment. I know you're kind of working through your notes and reading this. Listen to me. If you had any idea whatsoever of what your father in heaven, what he thinks about you, what he feels about you, what he wants to do in your life, you would not run from him. You would run to him. You would be overwhelmed by his love. See, that's, that's the Christian life. That no matter what you're going through right now, I know on any given weekend, there's quite a number of people that are going through some trauma, some trials, some uh, temptations. And I'm telling you, he's much greater than anything you'll ever face. He is more than enough. And if you had any idea what he thinks, he thinks about you even right now, what he feels about you, his heart for you, he loves you. And what he wants to do in your life, it would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. He wants your very best. I know we doubt that. The enemy gets in our head and in our lives. And that's how, that's how he works. He works on us right there in God's goodness towards us. We doubt his goodness. That's why we would take other paths away from God. We would run from God. We don't, we don't believe that. And that's the deception And that's the disillusionment that we often face and we have to work through. And so here's the next point. And we get really kind of to the the motive part. There's a major difference. Next thought on your notes. There's a major difference between doing good works to achieve salvation. That's called religion. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's why he keeps going back and forth. And doing good works in gratitude for having received salvation. That's the gospel. Now, now here's the thing that's interesting about the gospel. Most of the people that I know and most of the people that are out here that don't want to have anything to do with God, they're rejecting something that they don't even really fully understand. They're rejecting this false idea of what they think the gospel is. And some of you this morning even have somewhat of a false idea of what the gospel is. You think that, that if I obey him, he'll bless me. No, no, no. He blesses you, therefore you obey him. The obedience comes out of the amazing blessing that he already gives to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't flip that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to discuss it with the folks sitting around you real quick. Is What's the major difference between having a boss relationship with God versus a father relationship with God? What would be the distinctive characteristics between the two? Real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. So if you know the difference between those two, the difference is religion versus relationship with God, religion and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the question isn't, will I give to the poor, pray, or fast? Fasting is just intense uh, spiritual disciplines. It's just a time in your life where you're saying, hey, you know what? I need to press in a little bit more. There's some things that are bothering me. I need to get over this. I need to work through this. And so I'm going to take out some time. I'm, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to watch the news or whatever it might be. It might... you. 
you get rid of that out of your life and you spend that time in seeking God, spending time with God, looking to God. There's an intensity level there. And so what he's saying here, the question isn't, will I give to the poor, pray, and fast? But what will be my motive for doing these things? So he's not saying, he's not saying if you do these things, he's actually talking to his disciples. If you're a follower of mine, you will do these things. So when you do these things, just make sure you're doing these things for the right reason. That's what he's saying. So the more you understand who Christ is and how much he loves you and what he has done for you, the more you will diligently practice these spiritual disciplines. You'll be radically generous, consistent in prayer and fasting. Now, it's interesting when you study through this, and I brought this to your attention before I started reading, that, let's see, verse 1, 4, 6, 8, 9, 14, 15, and 18, he uses the word father eight times in this text that we read. He uses the word father. I think he's trying to get a point across, isn't he? He wants us to know the Father heart of God. No doubt about it. And then he uses the word reward seven times. And, and so in this, he's trying to help us to understand there's a difference between having a boss relationship versus a father relationship. Maybe as you were discussing this, this is what you came up with. A boss relationship rewards based on performance. Oh, do what you're told, you'll get a paycheck. A father rewards just because you're his child. Hey, kids, let's go to Dunkin' Donuts. Woo-hoo, yeah. I love it. See, when, when I worked on the fire department, when I would work my Friday shift, I would come home on Saturday morning, and guess what we did? It was traditional. We'd go, at that time, it was Krispy Kremes. We'd do, we'd do a Krispy Kreme run. And, and so, why did I do that? Because I'm the dad, and these are my kids, and we all love donuts, and we're just going to have a good time. We're going to chase it with a whole lot of coffee. Praise God for coffee. So, so kids, kids are blessed. They're rewarded just because they're kids. They're your kids by God's grace. That's how God rewards us. Now, as it relates to boss relationship, you perform, then we develop kind of an attitude. If it's based on performance, we develop an attitude. And don't, don't miss this. This is pretty subtle, but... God, you owe me. You owe me, God. And so I went to church, I read my Bible, I prayed, I dropped money in the box, and this is what I get from you, God? By the way, people, people struggle with that all the time. I talk with people all the time, and they kind of look, wow, I did all the right things, and this is what I... Wait, 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 you got, a go, you got a boss relationship with God. You don't understand. Because if you had a father relationship, it didn't matter what went down. You have the father in your life. You've got more than enough. And you need to know also, and we'll get to that, that everything that comes into your life is father-filtered. It comes through his hands. And so you're just trusting him in the midst of that. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? But see, we get into this kind of boss relationship as opposed to, to a father relationship. And see, if you have a father relationship, he doesn't owe you. You are forever indebted to him. You owe him. See, you, when you understand what the father has done through the son, the sacrificial love... Oh my goodness, you are forever indebted to him. That's that sense of, wow, wonder. Oh my goodness, it's, it's wonderful what you've done for me. So that's what actually helps you to navigate through the good, bad, and ugly of your life, never coming back and saying, hey God, how dare you do this to me? No, you deserve worse. You know that in your heart. If you really look deep, and yet in his kindness and his love and his grace, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will take care of you. So that's the difference between the two. How about a boss? Can a boss fire you? How many have ever been fired before? 
Boy, you guys are honest. That's awesome. How many have ever wanted to be fired? I wish this guy would fire me. I hate this job. Yeah. How about can a parent fire you? We've wanted to. We've wanted to fire a few kids. We're going to trade you in and get some more. How many have ever felt like that? Show of hands? Okay. You're honest. But you couldn't, could you? They're your kid. You're not going to fire them. But you're not going to get fired. Listen, once you're part of the family, you're part of the family. Now, you're going to discipline those kids. You want them to behave appropriately, so you're going to bring discipline. But why? Because you, you love them. How about this? A boss relationship is all about business. It's all about getting stuff or getting things done. A father relationship is all about what? Fellowship, friendship, relationship. So let me ask you a couple questions. I think you can kind of see the difference between the two. But here's a couple more questions that will help you to see the difference between a boss relationship and a father relationship. Because we're really getting at the heart of prayer and the motive for prayer. Does your prayer life increase with intensity when problems increase? Then you have a boss relationship with God. See, if you had a father relationship with God, man, your, your prayer life would be hot. You'd be going for God. And it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't matter whether it was good days, bad days, whatever days. You're not, just const- you're not running to him just on the bad days. You're running to him in the good days because he's better than any good day. See, that's the idea here. You just want to be with him. You want to experience him in your life. Here's another question. How about your public life versus your prayer life? Prayer life. Your prayer so certainly we're going to pray in public. We're with our friends. We're going to pray. We're going to bow our heads when we're out. We're going to pray over our food. We're going to pray in our small group. But what about your private life, your private prayer life? See, if, you, if your private, if your public prayer life is greater than your private prayer life, you probably have a boss relationship rather than a father relationship with God. You guys tracking with me? It's important. Is your prayer life drab and boring? You have a boss relationship. If you only knew the Father heart of God for you. Here's what I was praying. Came over yesterday, and Nancy needed to drop off some milk for the coffee bar, and she was doing some stuff to get it ready for today. And I was walking the hallways here just thanking God for this beautiful place. And, but beyond just thanking him for the beautiful place, I, this is what I prayed for. Every person that comes in here, God, let them see your Father heart and how you feel about them. If you only knew the Father heart of God for you, I mean, it would change everything about your life. Nothing, absolutely nothing would keep you from him. I love, I love spending time with God. It is my, it's my favorite. might sound crazy. I love watching football. I love watching sports. And yet, I love spending time with God more than watching football. I mean, there, there are times... That, uh, that I just, I, I can't not spend time with him. I have to spend time with him. I want to spend time with him. I can't hardly wait to spend time with him. And, and the more I understand the Father heart of God towards me, the more I want to run into his arms and into his presence and to experience what he offers me and what he gives to me. So that's the motive. That's the motive. Let me ask you this. What is the measure of his love for you? What would be the measure of his love? What what should come to mind when I think of the measure of his love? How much does he love me? You always should think about the cross. 
That's the measure of his love. What's the measure of his power that he has available to you, that, that he wants to work in and through your life? Whatever you're facing, this, this is the measure of what he will work through your life. You need to always look at what? The resurrection, the resurrection power. And uh, so that's the motive. Let's look at the, the method now. Now, you could, you could break down the Lord's Prayer, and I use this. I'll, I'll oftentimes go to bed at night going through the Lord's Prayer, using it as a pattern for my prayer as I kind of work through it, I don't do it robotically, but I just, I, I'll go like Father in heaven and I'll think of the implications of what that means. You're, you're close, you're caring, you're competent, you're going to take care of me. And you're perfect heavenly, you're perfect in every way. And, and so I kind of walk through that and pray that. And you could split this up in a lot of different ways. I've split it up in four ways this morning. And I'm going to give you four words of kind of a pattern to think about. The first one is adoring, the second one is accepting, the third one is asking, and the fourth one is advancing. So here's a bit of a pattern, kind of a punch list, checklist. So this next week when you sit down and you spend time with God, you could kind of go through this punch list. There's many more items on this, and I'll talk about those. So the method of our communication with God, adoring, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. I gave you some verses there. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And these are all about, these verses are talking about this, this adoration. Adoration is the most important thing you should do in your prayer life. When you, when you spend time with God, it should be times of adoration. What is adoration? It is a savoring of the multidimensional attributes of God. It is a plunging yourself into the fullness of the reality of God, not just intellectually where you somehow are reciting and thinking about who God is and his many attributes, but you're not wanting it just to be intellectual, but you want it to be existential. So as you meditate on scripture, as you listen to songs, you're wanting to take the truths of God and have them move deep into your heart. And so you begin to reflect and think and adore until your heart is dazzled by his goodness and greatness, by his beauty and his glory, to where Christ becomes more real to you than anything that you're facing. So let me ask you this. When was the last time in your prayer time that you spent enough time just trying to get that truth deep into your heart through meditation or reflection. And then before you were finished up, man, your heart was on fire. You begin to realize, wow, God, you are for me and not against me. See, that's what we're trying to do through adoration. That's what adoration is about. When uh, growing up in the Davis home, my dad, he was a plumber, hard worker, and uh, he's, he was a naturally strong dude and uh, just buffed. Never worked out with any weights in his life, but just super strong and... Um, I remember my uh, cousin, Eddie, who went to San Diego University, and he had some bench-pressing record over there. He was one thick, big, tough dude. I remember him staying the summer. I think his mom, uh, my dad's sister, his mom was uh, having some problems with him, and so sent him over for a summer for us to hang out with him, for him to hang out with us. And I think maybe my dad was supposed to set him straight or something. But I remember when he came over there, this is back in the 70s, my cousin Eddie had real super long hair, and my dad did not like hair, long hair. Uh, he didn't like the long hair. He thought, ah, those hippies, and, you know, he had kind of an attitude towards that. And, of course, I had long hair. And, uh, and he constantly would say, hey, you need to get your hair cut. Okay, Dad, yeah, sure, I will. And I never did. But... Uh, 
And he caught on to it after a while, and he would hammer me for it. But, but my cousin, Eddie, would come. He came and spent the summer with him. He had long hair. And so this is what my dad said. My dad said to him, I'll tell you what. I'll arm wrestle you. And if I beat you, you have to get your hair cut. And if you beat me, I'll give you $100. And my cousin, Eddie, goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Come over here, old man. And I go, this is good, man. I was standing there watching him, little guy, and, uh, and my dad, almost in like five seconds flat, just boom, put him down, and he was shocked. He was like, oh, wow, and he got his hair cut, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it, was, it was really quite interesting to see that, and I knew my dad was strong. He was unbelievably strong, but this is what my dad would do from time to time when I was a kid. I remember him doing this. He'd flex his arm. He had like Popeye arms, just super big. <laughs> And he'd go, hey, come over here and feel this muscle. And I'd go over there and go, woo. And, um, and you know what that, would, what that did to me? It did a couple different things. I knew I better never mess with dad. Okay? And then I also knew that nobody ever better mess with me. Because I was his son, and I knew that he would take care of my business for me, and he would look after me. And it brought a great deal of confidence. And so when we adore God, in essence, we're feeling his muscle. We're going, oh God, oh God, you are big. You are strong. Oh God, you will take care of me. Oh yes, yes. And it's not just something that's intellectual. It's very existential. It moves. It goes deep into your heart. That's why adoration. That's why when we sing songs in here at the at the part that's that's a part of worship, our worship experience. This is a part of our worship experience. That music time is just as important as this time, because we're we're realigning our thoughts and our ideas and who God is, and we're feeling His muscle, and we're beginning a, getting a chance to say, Hey, wait, God, why am I freaking out if I have you? Why am I so stressed out? Because I have you. And so that's, that's really important. Spending time with God isn't an item you check off your to-do list. It's expecting and experiencing God so that you can know who it is who walks through your day with you. The more you realize who it is who walks through your day with you, the more you're ready to face anything. And so let me just kind of walk you through some of this. So if I were to take you through some of these words, our father, our community project, you need to be around people that help and support you. That's why he's saying our father. It's together. We do this together. We come to him together. And father means that he's close, he's competent, he's caring, heavenly. He's infinite, he's transcendent, he's majestic, he's powerful, hallowed, he's pure, he's perfect, he's holy, he's in categories beyond categories. His name represents his character. He's not an impersonal force, he's personal. He has a name. In fact, there's three characteristics that I often will recite. And there's a number of things. I, I look oftentimes at the compound Hebrew names in the Old Testament for God. Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness. Jehovah Makedesh, my sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Jehovah Shema, you are always with me. And so those are the compound names in the Old Testament. They're, they're beautiful to reflect on and to think about. But if you just took some of the three basic characteristics, if you understood these about God, that he is perfect in love, he's infinite in wisdom, and he's unlimited in power. So, so in his love, he wants the very best for you. If you could remember that, and in his wisdom, he knows what is best for you. He knows every detail of your life, and in his power, he's going to do it. He's going to pull it off. He's going to take care of you. Those would be three of the characteristics of his name that you need to recite and go through. You say that God, that you believe 
in God and you believe that he loves you and he's, he has infinite wisdom about you and he's all powerful and he's working in your life. But along comes criticism, rejection, failure, suffering, and loss. And what do you do? You fall apart. You have excessive anxiety, anger, depression. Why? Why? Because his love, his wisdom, his power is a concept, not a reality. And so prayer, adoration, makes his love, wisdom, power for you more real, more real than the criticism and the rejection and the failure and the suffering and the loss. That's what you need. That's why adoration is the most important thing that we can do in prayer. And then it goes next to, take a look at this next one. So adoring, adoring, and then accepting. Now it's going to get hard. This is a tough one. So kind of buckle your seatbelts here. This is a tough one. Accepting, your will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a, this is a frightening statement. You know what you're saying when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will be done? This is what you're saying. Two things primarily. Lord, I will obey everything you say in your word, even if I don't like it. By the way, he, he, he addresses every aspect of our lives, our sexuality, our finances, you know, our time and how we spend our time. He addresses all of that. And, and what you're saying is that, Lord, I will obey everything you say in your word, even if I don't like it. And, Lord, I will accept everything you send into my life, even if I don't understand it. I know that some of you have had some horrific things take place in your life. And part of your finding healing in that is being able to say that and say, hey, you know what? I don't understand it, but I know that you've allowed it and I'm trusting in you and you're the script writer of my life and I'm cool with that. And God, I know also that you can take the bad and work it for my good and your glory. So, so what he's saying here, accepting your will be done, I will diligently obey all that you command, whether I like it or not, and patiently accept all that you bring into my life, whether I understand it or not. Now, why would I say that? Because it brings deep soul rest, and you need deep soul rest. Part of the stress we have in our life is because of those two things, particularly the second one. Things happen to us, we stress out, we freak out, we're mad, we're angry, we can't get over it. We need deep soul rest. There's a deep soul rest when you lay down the burden that you know better than God in how to live your life and how your life should go. Your seven-year-old wants to drive your car? What would you say? Yeah, come on over. My grandmother, years ago, she would actually let us sit in, in her lap. This was before seatbelts, okay? And this was kind of crazy. We'd sit in her lap and steer, and she'd be steering like that. Anybody ever have that experience with grand, grandmas, grandpas? Yeah, it was really wild. And the only seatbelt we had was her arm coming across the seat like this. We'd, you know, all the kids were coming forward from the back seat on, and she'd stop them. It's pretty bizarre. But, uh, but your seven-year-old wants to drive the car. You won't let him, so he cries and says that uh, he doesn't understand, and of course he doesn't understand because he's seven years old. Most children over time will accept the child-adult distinction and will submit to their father's will, but there are some kids 
though who are not, that are not in touch with reality and will grab the keys when their parent isn't looking and wreck the car and possibly kill themselves. And I actually didn't kill myself. Obviously, I'm still here. But uh, I did that, and uh, I jumped in the car. My mom was letting me go out and start the car, and I remember it was in the driveway, and so I would start it. And I don't know where. I, I still remember it to this day like it was just yesterday. And I remember in my head I said, well, you know what? The car's a little bit back in the you know, in the driveway. I can bring it up so that everybody can get into the car a little better. Are you kidding? I couldn't even, I couldn't even hit the brake in the car. So I started the car, shoved it into drive and think, and I tried to stop it and I couldn't stop it. Fortunately, my cousins were out there and before he could even, he tried to get in the car, I shoved it back in reverse. And so I was in the driveway going, my mom's freaking out. My cousin jumps in the car and jams on the brake, stops it. And my mom said, you're never doing that again. <laughs> and, uh, and so some kids just don't trust their parents, and so they take the car keys and, and run it off the cliff. And, and spiritually, the Bible said, says that we are more like that. We are like the, the kid that says, hey, I don't understand why you won't let me drive the car. I'm going to drive it anyway, and what do we do? We wreck our lives because we don't trust his direction for our lives And we don't trust in what he's bringing into our lives. We do not accept the creator-creature distinction. Therefore, we're always mad, sad, scared because things in life are not going our way. You've heard this before. I've said it. But the difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. (laughs) See, we want to play God. I know better than you. As it relates to how I'm going to order my life. And oh, I also know better than you and how my life, how my life should go. And I don't like how it's going, God. A creator owns you. A king rules you. But if the creator or king is your father, then all of his power is directed toward your best interest. I like what Tim Keller says. Worry is believing God will get it wrong. That's why we worry. God, you're going to get this wrong. You're going to get this wrong. And bitterness is believing God did get it wrong. So, the motive of our communication is the Father heart of God. The method of our communication is adoring, accepting, and now we come to asking. Praise God, finally asking. I thought that's all that prayer was about, asking. Hold it, hold it. I I think that because of that, we think that we just bring our list to God. No, 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 no. You're missing the best part of prayer. That's bringing our love to God, interacting with him through adoration and accepting. And then there's the asking. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request to God in prayer. Verse 13 of Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about all kinds of Uh, both good and bad circumstances. And then in verse 19, he says that God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get from God, but to be with God. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get from him, but to be with him. Because nothing is more beautiful and more desirable than God. Listen to me. All the stuff that you could get from him doesn't even come close to having him in your life. The great career, the job, the relationship, whatever, doesn't even come close. 
Oh my goodness, do you know how magnificent he is? Do you know how desirable he is? Do you know how great and wonderful he is? Do you understand his goodness and his glory? Nothing compares to knowing him and spending time with him and experiencing him. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. And, And so what do we ask? Well, he gives us a list of things that we can ask for. Daily bread, give us today our daily bread. Basic needs, verse 11, I need help to make ends meet. And then uh, forgive us our debts, verse 12. I need mercy to deal with my failures. And then also verse 12. And we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I, I, I like the story. You've heard me say it before. Little girl, mom had taught this little girl how to kind of recite the Lord's Prayer. And mom overheard the little girl when she got to this place in the Lord's Prayer. She said this. She said, and forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. I like that. That's exactly what it's about. It's about taking out the trash. What happens when you don't take out the trash? Eee. And so not only do we have trash in our own lives, but people put trash in our lives. And he's giving us an opportunity to take out the trash. And so we can take that to God. And by the way, when you read this, it almost sounds like he's saying, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I I know when you first read it, you go, wait a minute, if I don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive me. Isn't that what it sounds like? Well, that's what it's saying, but, but, but it's much deeper, okay? It's much deeper. Theologians, commentators would say, actually... Actually, when you understand forgiveness, if you are unforgiving to others, it's only because you haven't really fully received his forgiveness of you. And that would be the only reason why you would be unforgiving. You haven't really come to him and you don't realize your own wretchedness and your desperation, your, your dire condition apart from him. And if you did, you would have no problem forgiving others. That's what he's saying. If, if I understood amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, the more I understand that I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think, but more loved than I ever dared to dream. When I understand that, I'm going to be able to forgive others. In fact, you can read this on your own, Matthew chapter 18. I didn't put it on your notes, but you can actually read the parable of the unforgiving servant. That's what he's talking about there. He's just saying, when I'm unforgiving, when I'm unforgiving, it's because I haven't really fully understood my own wretchedness before God and how much he's forgiven me. I haven't received the, you know, the forgiveness for my three billion Sins, and I'm trying to hold these three sins that this person has committed against me. And, and so that's what he's saying, and that's why it's so important. We struggle with forgiving others to the degree that we fail to see how much God has forgiven us. And then he says in verse 13, lead us not into temptation. And he says, I need strength to deal with life's challenges. That's what that, that idea means. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. Intimacy with God, the creator, the sustainer, that is amazing. You can know him through Jesus. So that brings us to the last, the last point here is that so, so oh, actually advancing. Let's, let's talk about that. Advancing. So what are we doing advancing? He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is powerful thought. So, so the pattern that we're kind of working through is adoring, accepting, asking, and then advancing. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail. He's talking about his church. So he's saying something about we're going to be able to advance this kingdom of light and push back the kingdom of darkness. You guys are familiar with John 10, 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Would you say that he's active and alive and working pretty hard on this planet Earth? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Show of hands. Yep. Yep. Yep, and yet in the midst of that, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Prayer is also about warfare. It reclaims what man lost through sin and restores God's rule and reign. It crowds out the efforts of hell in the lives of the people you pray for, inviting God's kingdom. Tells us in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. James 4, 2 says, we have not because we what? Because we ask not. That's pretty profound. We have not because we ask not. You don't have because you don't ask. You didn't go to God and talk to him about this. Prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. I mean, this is a stunningly glorious privilege. If you have been offered the privilege to engage with God in such a way that your request could bring into being things that would otherwise not come into being, for you to not avail yourself to that privilege is foolishness of the highest form. That when we pray, things happen. Our daddy hears us. When we prayed for Chuck and Tammy, there was something that was happening right then and there. That is amazing. It tells us in the fifth chapter of James, the 16th verse, the prayers of a righteous man or person is powerful and effective. So you can push back the forces of darkness in people's lives by you praying for them. That's what he's talking about here. Advancing your kingdom come. That's exactly what I do. I talk, when, I, when I talk and I pray for our congregation and the people here and for our leaders, I pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, righteousness, peace, and joy. Dispel the darkness with your presence. Whatever people are facing, Lord, let them see your beauty and your, and your glory. In prayer, we battle against Satan, not just in our lives, but also in the world as we seek to undo his work. An illustration I used in the first service I'm almost finished here, but I just I wanted to use this because there's a couple that's in this church that have been with us for 10 years, and I get the opportunity and the privilege of doing, uh, renewing their vows. And, and I saw this in Demi and Lynn uh, 10 years ago when you guys came to the church. The enemy had a hold of your lives, and you guys surrendered your heart to Jesus. And oh, my goodness. What amazing changes I've seen. I've had a front row seat to see what God does best. And I've seen unbelievable changes. And, and when I've, I've seen, you know, the trauma that you've gone through and the difficulties and even currently is the trauma you're going through. And yet I see righteousness, peace, and joy in the midst of difficulty and hardship because you have the presence and the power and the peace of God in your life. Would you stand just for a minute? Let's give, let's give them a hand. So that's, that's why we pray. That's why we pray. We pray for the Demis and the Lens in this world and in this neighborhood that God would push back the forces of darkness in their lives and in their family and watch him do what only he can do, bring fullness of life. And that's what we've seen. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That's why you pray. That's why we pray. Thank you. God bless you guys. And then the means of our communication with God, John fourteen six. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The way, the way to God. You want to have a relationship with God? It's through Jesus. I'm the truth about God. You want to know what God is about? Look at Jesus. Study through the Gospels. He also said, I'm the way, the truth, I'm the life. Listen, there's not a better life. I know some of you are here and you think otherwise. There's not a better life on this planet Earth than the life that is fully devoted to Jesus. I'm telling you, it is an amazing life. It's not a painless or problem-free life, but it's a life filled with the presence and the power and the peace of God, regardless of what goes down in your life. And it comes through Jesus. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what, what went down. Our sin and our wretchedness separated us from God, but, but Jesus stepped in for us and took the blame and the shame and all of our guilt on the cross and that we have his righteousness. This is what John Stott says. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And so here are the words from your heavenly father. You may have longed to hear from your earthly father. Mark 1.11, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There was a gal that walked up after the first service this morning and I knew she needed to hear this. I don't even know. I've never even met her dad. I don't even know what her dad is. Maybe she's never really even had a dad. Most of the 40% of our kids grow up and, and will go to bed tonight without a dad in the home. And maybe you had a distant, detached dad, maybe even an abusive dad. I want you to hear this this morning. These are the words from your father in heaven. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. You can't earn that. That's already given to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you understand that, the more you live in the reality of that, the more that will transform your life. You don't obey him to get his blessing Oh my goodness, you already have his blessing. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Run into your daddy's arms this morning through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has provided everything you need. Everything you need comes to us through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. How much does the father love the son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's how much he loves you. How much does the Father enjoy the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's how much he enjoys you. Stand with me. We're going to conclude by actually reciting the Lord's Prayer. And you guys, you guys know that if you memorize the Lord's Prayer, at the end, we would traditionally say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. We're going to do that. It's not up on the text, but that's kind of traditional. And that's our big yay God at the end, okay? You guys ready for that? You guys have been very patient this morning. God bless you. Here we go. Let's pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Woo! That's good stuff. That's good stuff. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Next week, we're going to do a little bit of a treasure hunt. We're going to find out where we, what we most treasure. So we're going to have a chance to look at that. Continue to read on through the Sermon on the Mount. God bless you. Have a great weekend.